Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. It's a Bitcoin Podcast. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. Um, how'd that old song go, Corey, that we had? Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. Yeah, there we go. Yowchee. Yowchee. Um, such a good intro music. I love that intro music. Yeah, but I do really, really, really like the ones we have now. That Gibbs, yeah, G-I-B-B-Z, at Oof. Gibbs Music on Twitter. Go follow him. Tell me how much you love this intro because it's the bomb. So I do miss uh, the part that says adoption's the only thing that matters. Yeah, we <laughs> slowly dropped that. I don't know when <laughs> it was natural. We never had a discussion about it. It just out of the blue, we stopped saying adoption's the only thing that matters. Because once we realized who adopts it, we're like, uh, you guys I mean, can go still... when moon later. <laughs> <laughs> it's still there, but like the quote unquote adoption context has changed a bit over the i think over the years i'm like who we're talking yeah. about when we say adoption but it's such a good theme to center the show around because you can never not talk about adoption and who's going to adopt it and why and mm-hmm. what's going to cause it when and but anyways this is uh the bitcoin podcast episode 291 we hope you enjoyed the recap year that was a fun uh was a recap fun of yeah it was man you know what i think we like we get no twitter love we literally had the cello made do much the for Twitter. Accurate. <laughs> That's why. Of all the predictions in 20, what was going to happen in 2019, cello's was like 95% correct. Our Twitter is almost like, non-existent. Everything that I do on Twitter is through my name. I don't get on the podcast Twitter and do stuff. We need like a, like a, we need to take a class. We need to take a Twitter class. <laughs> so, <laughs> Andy sticker game do. up. We have, we have someone who handles handles things yeah. and post things you should step this game up or we need no we need like a, a young whippersnapper to run our twitter account i don't want that maybe i don't know because i don't know man we're like we're like two years away from getting okay boomered on a regular basis i don't give up <laughs> <a> all right <laughs> so we actually posted a really good article on our slack from cory doctorow yesterday and they bas- he basically talked about this like hypothetical situation of where um, free speech doesn't matter if you could only have free speech on someone else's walled garden. And if Twitter can silence or amplify any voice that it chooses or like silence us for being like moderate and temperate in our discussions about Bitcoin while it amplifies anyone who's highly controversial and says whatever they can just to get attention then like mm-hmm. what's the point of free speech yeah and it's also it, it's 
antagonistic to the ethos of cryptocurrency to have so much like power by operating in Twitter's walled garden. You know, we're let's, uh, before we before we dive into that, let's say who we are. For those oh, of fuck you, know. Corey. They're going to have to figure that shit out. Nope. All right. So we're, <laughs> all right. So I'm D. I'm the host that talks first. I usually talk after D. I'm Corey. And I'm Lucian. Yeah, I'm, Lucian uh, from uh, the co-host Dose of, of Ether. Dose of Ether. Show on the network has joined us for the roundtable because I don't think we have a guest this episode, do we? Uh, we do not. Um, but our interviews do pick up again for the year next week. So um, we're just going to be presenting to you guys some topics that piqued our interest this week. Made my pants tight. You know what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah, why don't we... Uh, oh. So I, I want, I'm going to talk about something uh, much more. It's going to take a while to get through. So why don't we start with that, uh, the stuff you mentioned? No doubt. Um, are we going to do the how was your week thing or do nobody right. care? About it? Okay. Um, my week was well. So the, <laughs> the, the topic that I wanted to bring up today was an article that I saw. Um, because you, if you guys have listened to the show long enough, you know that I love when I find an article that validates my bias and <laughs> it confirms me and I love it. And many moons ago, uh, uh, many rising of the tides, uh, I had an idea, not an idea. I, I, th- I thought that like it's only natural that cryptocurrency and proof of work mining is going to um I don't know, hasten the need for more efficient energy uh, production. Uh, because is if this thing becomes something that people need and people want it, then we can't just like burn the hell out of dinosaur bones to make money. We're going to have to start using wind juice, uh, sun juice, uh, maybe nuclear juice to, to give these miners the power that they need to guess the random numbers, right? Maybe. Can we just collectively start calling it wind juice, uh, nuclear juice, sun juice? Hey, man. I'm very, I'm very happy with those terms. Look, sometimes you got to just break it on down. All right. <laughs> sun Look, juice we, does sound like Capri Sun, though. Hey. <laughs> it'd be a really easy marketing play for Capri Sun then to get in on the sun juice game. But, <laughs> but. If we we're gonna have to uh, become more efficient at these things because sometimes like sometimes research and development doesn't take place until there's a need for it and maybe like I've been hearing about solar panels my entire life like literally since I was eight and I was like oh yeah this is obvious there's gonna be solar panels on everything I'll have a solar panel on my forearm that charges my body electricity devices this is shit that I thought when I was in my teens but obviously that's not really the case it hasn't been but. Maybe if, you know, cryptocurrency continues to be popular or grows in popularity. And so the article is a Russian nuclear power plant uh, is going to capitalize on Bitcoin miners. So they're going to have you so take a nuclear power plant, get some nuke juice and then plop some mining farms right next to it and then put some power cables in between them. And that's what's happening <laughs> in Russia. And that's as technical as it needs to get. But. One, do you guys think that my theory is full of shit? What was your theory? Two, I don't think you said it. Yeah, my theory is that like um, cryptocurrencies are going to spur 
uh, green energy like development, make it go faster? Um, this isn't green energy. It's not nuclear. Nuclear. nuclear yeah. I would not consider green. It's not renewable in any it's, way, shape, or form. Well, let's consider it yellow green. Yellow is green. We'll call it yellow. It's, it's efficient. Neutral. It's incredibly efficient. <laughs> okay. Um, it, relative to, to burning coal, uh, but I get what you're saying is that like the because part of this this uh, article says from a quote of. Chinkov, which I probably pronounced incorrectly because I don't speak Russian. Uh, cryptocurrency mining is the 11th largest economy in the world, and Rosatom is the first state corporation to adopt it. Uh, so, additionally, Rosatom plans to allow private businesses to use 240 megawatts of its power for multiple locations. So, they're subsidizing the cost mm-hmm. of their energy if the people who are using it are running Bitcoin miners. So this, I guess, is a state-run goal to increase the Bitcoin mining in that area of the world. That was another point I wanted to make. Thank you for reminding me. Is that we'll see a slow growth of more state-subsidized mining operations around the globe. I agree with both of those things. Assuming that proof-of-work maintains... um, it's heavy hand in how we do distributed consensus of cryptocurrencies, then yes, we will see more subsidies and development towards better energy sources of providing energy to ASICs that run proof of work. I don't see what there's no reason not to, because as they, as the cryptocurrencies gain in value, um, and become more useful for cross-border payments. Um, it's a form of revenue to states to do this type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, 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 and we can't keep burning coal, period. And since this is a, a, clearly, according to them, the 11th largest economy in the world, just cryptocurrency mining, it's that's a large economy. And... and States want to be involved with, with world economies. This is the direct way to do that. The largest? Well, according, to, according to him, Demchinkov. Uh, Demchinkov. Uh, which is, this article is written January 9th by uh, Dimitar Bogdanov of uh, Invez.com. <laughs> I-N-V-E-Z-Z.com. That's what, that's what I'm reading here. Um, so, a lot of names that I can't pronounce appropriately. Yeah. Writing articles by day and fighting James Bond by night is what they're doing. So, um, is that? But yeah, like that's why, why not? Like, I I think this is a relatively good thing that states are getting involved with Bitcoin mining, um, or 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 the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Subsidization of Bitcoin mining to large companies because we want a larger disbursement of people who are doing mining across the globe we don't want it all centralized into any given nation right now it yeah it is it is it's heavily centralized in china china so uh, i hope that eventually that spreads and this is the type of stuff that helps spread that lucian you you, though before the show you you were kind of like shit i'm yeah so the reason that um bitcoin mining is heavily centralized in china is twofold first 
there have a very large um, computer chip production capability. So they're close to the producers of new ASICs mining equipment. The foundries. That gives them like a competitive advantage because insiders get the newest equipment, which means that they basically wiped everyone out when they were basically pre-mining on things that they've sold to other people so that it basically like it's useful for a very specific amount of time until technology improves and the ASICs gets even better. Well, Mm -hmm. they would just hold your order and mine with your equipment for you by stress testing stress testing Uh uh-huh and then you get your mining equipment and it's covered in like heat sink like (laughs) they basically like in thermal compound because they literally just like slapped heat sinks onto it and then mined for it like over the productive lifetime of your equipment well that's why china has uh, a monopoly but the other aspect to it is that china heavily subsidizes energy consumption in order to give it a global competitive advantage in key undeveloped regions, right? So Mm. the cost of energy consumption in key parts of China is subsidized by the federal government, which, by the Mm. way, is in uh, contradiction to WTO regulations, but China doesn't follow it anyways. So that actually, like those two things contributed to China's success. Now, let's take the Russia story and compare it to that. Fossil, uh, sorry, nuclear power is always subsidized by the state because nuclear power plants are not profitable unless the state provides them with insurance, right? Just because of Chernobyl and Three Mile Island, it is impossible to get private insurance for a nuclear power plant in the developed world. Right. So as a result, nuclear power is subsidized energy, no matter what. But on top of that, this is probably old existing infrastructure. This wasn't a new nuclear power plant built explicitly for efficient Bitcoin mining. No, this is an existing power plant, which decided to actually get into the cryptocurrency mining space. And then you have to ask why, right? It's money, baby. <laughs> we are here trying to make this fucking money, Lucian. It's actually Sorry. more simple than that. It's because the Russian economy is crap. Like the entire economy is less productive than it was before the collapse of the Soviet Union. Russia itself is an oligarchic narco state, basically, right? Mm-hmm. It's a giant criminal organization, and that is the Russian state. Right. There's no difference between the mafia and the Russian government. They Who's are just trying same. to get hit. Yeah, man. Careful. I mean, bro. it's obvious. Everyone <laughs> I don't, knows. I don't it. know anything like, about Russia. There's so. a reason. There's a reason that oligarchs literally run the country. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason that Vladimir Putin's piano teacher for his daughter has half a billion dollars in just Panama. Right. It's a dysfunctional oligarchic society and it's a criminal organization. So what happened? Their economy collapsed and it's never recovered. It lost about half of its value after the imposition of U.S. sanctions, after the invasion of Ukraine, like half of its value. So you have a nuclear power plant that's producing a consistent amount of energy, but they don't have an economy to actually consume energy. So what do they do? They burn it in the form of mining Bitcoin, Mm. right? And on top of that, the state oligarchs who run a state-owned enterprise 
can then launder Bitcoin into the ecosystem and avoid US sanctions. Right. So what it is, is essentially it's a state organized sanctions evading technique. And here's the deal. The U.S. didn't impose sanctions on Russia. They imposed it on oligarchs. Mm. Right. So being an oligarch in Russia is the ultimate liability. It's not like if you actually are a small Russian citizen, like sanctions prevent you from moving small amounts of money inside and out of the country. It's like, no, it is targeted against oligarchs. And that's the funny thing. So you have a state-owned enterprise, which is basically laundering money through Bitcoin with excess power consumption, which was there, which used to be used productively, but now their economy is complete trash and they have no productive use for energy. So they're like, we'll mine Bitcoin so that we could still buy our private jets and take all of our money outside of Russia, right? Which is the irony of it, right? Because all of the oligarchs in Russia, once they become oligarchs, they try to move all of their money outside of the country. Because as soon as you fall out of Putin's inner circle, which happens, it's like state socialism, right? Like if you make too much money, someone eventually is going to start asking for more and more of it from you. So your first move is like, oh, I don't have any. It's in the Cayman Islands, but I don't have any, you know? Mm. And as a result, you have an orchestrated state. And here's the deal. Like the only way people remain in power is by peddling power, influence, and these kickbacks in the form of sanctions avoiding money in uh, neutral countries like Switzerland, the Cayman Islands, British Virgin Islands, right? So I guess like I get, to put some of this into context, which, so so people don't just think you're talking out of ass. Like you're you're not like you're you're Romanian, right? Like that's like a yeah. neighbor of Russia. Yeah. So you're a yeah. bit more intimate with the history going on over there. So Lucian yeah. isn't just like pulling this out. <laughs> he's not me. <laughs> he's not pulling it out of Wikipedia articles. He's, he's got an intimate relationship with this. Well, to quote Dave Chappelle, I seen it. <laughs> I seen it. <laughs> I lived it. Uh, um, so, so I guess though, so that like kind of adds nuance to my little theories, I guess, is that each state getting involved with crypto mining is going to have their different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. More often than and, not, it's going to be subtly nefarious. Right. Like a well-functioning, like well-integrated, productive economy isn't going to subsidize Bitcoin mining. Okay, there's a few things that I wanted to address in what you just said. None of it is political. Uh, first, that that those two things that you said about China having um, this kind of unfair advantage and how mm-hmm. they currently operate in terms of uh, the production cycles of new hardware yeah, isn't a forever thing. Yeah, Moore's Law. Uh, well, partially, uh, uh, we haven't caught up to Moore's law in terms okay. of in terms of ASIC production of SHA two fifty six ASICs for Bitcoin mining, right? So the production cycle is very fast, and each production cycle has still has large gains over the previous one, right? And so each six months or whatever it is, whatever the lifetime of a given of a given ASIC um, is, very short, and the next iteration is way 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 faster as opposed to like you know. 1.5x the speed or 2x the speed or whatever it is, right? Uh, and once we catch up to Moore's law, then 
a lot of those benefits that ASIC producers have based on being close to chip production are not there anymore. And so mm. they, they, that severe advantage that current chip producers have in China will not be there anymore, which gives it econo- which makes it more economically viable for other companies to start doing the same thing across the globe. Uh, which then spreads across the availability of the hardware for people to get them. And like that global market allows for like a lot of checks and balances, uh, like standard like monopolistic production type things. Mm. That's an eventuality yeah, yeah, of right. proof of work if proof of work stays there. Uh, there's also the argument of I'm not necessarily sure. I'm not willing to bet that proof of work will be the only way or most dominant way in which we do distribute a consensus for cryptocurrencies in the next five years, five to 10 years. If that's the case, then it's no longer, it's no longer this race to produce the right hardware and where we get the energy to pump into that hardware across the globe. Because right now you have kind of like um, unfair advantages in specific parts of the world in terms of cost of energy um, and ambient temperatures for cooling the equipment in these, in these facilities. And then you have the unfair advantage of who actually has access to get the hardware in the appropriate amount of time to produce the right amount of hash rate to produce, to, to, to put into the, to put into the pool. And so all these things are kind of going to be equalized in a lot of ways, depending on one, if we move away from proof of work two if we change the algorithms of proof of work so that they're more fairly distributed, like GPU mining and stuff. Uh, and three, like, if we even use proof of work in the first place. So these are all questions that need to be answered or changed. And I'm not, and I'm not, I think a lot of these problems we have currently will just be gone because it's becoming very, very political. What is? The access to these things or the benefits of state-sanctioned proof of work mining. See, the whole, the whole goal of this, the whole goal in the very beginning was... What's the fairest way that we can have people vote into the system and and, and contribute to it? And that's a far cry. That's a far cry from where we are now in terms of one CPU, one vote. Everything starts fair until it's not, man. No, it doesn't have to be. That's the whole goal of doing this stuff is to make the fairest process possible. And what started, what this like, like everyone spouts the gospel of Satoshi. Yet they just fucking ignore this part. I'm what I'm saying is, is like you can build the fairest system of all, but there's always going to be people that in that system that are good and, and some that aren't. It depends on how the system works in terms of game mechanics. You can minimize the idea of losers or who those losers are and the discrepancy between the winners. Mm-mm. Right? No, you can't, man. There's okay. always going to be losers and winners, man. Exactly. Just the way there will goes. always be losers and winners of of, of any given game. Any system that has rules, we can call that a game. There will always be losers and winners of those of those systems. The goal no of fair systems is to minimize the discrepancy between them. What started out in terms of what Satoshi said and what we've been up with are two very different things. The first one being small discrepancy between winners and losers. The latter being large discrepancy between winners and losers. Yes. It's now, now, we're still better off than the traditional financial system. By far. There's just a certain when it comes to, I guess, these consensus and if it's proof of stake or proof of work or proof of 
space time or whatever the fuck it is space time whatever it was we were talking about uh three four days ago is that i think it's dependent upon the distribution of like knowledge or the ability for people to get in on the game like what i mean by that is i was like uh just fucking teaching algebra geometry doing my thing and then you introduced bitcoin to me and then within the span of three weeks i was mining at least litecoin which is very similar to Bitcoin. We both agreed to like, we can't mine Bitcoin. There's no sense in that. So we started mining and like, it didn't take me long to get up to speed. I was very familiar with these things because I've lived in a world where PCs have existed my entire life. I've built several computers. It wasn't that much of a spin for me to spin up a mining rig. Then you go into proof of stake. How many layers of knowledge are required by a rando to get into the proof of stake game they're going to be like, what? So I need, so I got to buy some cryptocurrency. Okay. How do I buy the cryptocurrency? Okay. So I got to run a node. What do I need to do? Like how easy is it for someone to participate in that quote unquote voting system or validation? Well, there is no system. one flavor of proof of stake. Um, in some cases, in terms of delegated proof of stake, it's quite easy. You download the wallet, get your funds and delegate to whatever uh, staking entity you want for um, Ethereum-based proof of stake, or what would become the F2.0 uh, proof of stake, it's going to be lock these funds into a contract and have some instance that does your delegation for you. Like, and that there'll be plenty of tutorials and shit to do that type of stuff. Um, in terms of Avalanche, that'll be I think that will probably be the easiest to get into. Uh, but let me ask you this question: Why do you stop? Me and you, yeah, because we could, we got bodied out. It. It was, if we got bodied it out, it's not worth it. Would we do it now? I mean, if it were affordable, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Exactly, but it's, not. it's not affordable. <laughs> the getting into the game is no longer easy. Having any type of real say or even making any real money, it costs a tremendous amount of capital, at least in Bitcoin. But that is how all things go. No, that's not that's like- the, that's what I'm saying. The diff, like the way things have progressed in terms of how consensus is done as Bitcoin has changed from something where you could get in with commoditized hardware that is easily accessible to something that costs millions of dollars of capital and a lot of know-how to have any negligible stake in the game. But what I can say is like that's why not is how that all bad- things work. That's not Bro. how. Alan Cowley, when they were mining gold, and at first they were like, yeah, go out there, get some fucking gold, bro. And you just walk out there with a fucking basket, and you're like, let me get this gold. And then slowly over time, somebody is like, comes out with a big machine. And you're like, what the fuck well, is that? And that's how, like, all things, gold, okay. that's how all things have worked. That's not the goal of these systems. That's not the goal of any system. Of course, a goal, if a, if a system is, is, is basically built with these, I guess, altruistic or uh, occult pure intent, that's not going to be its goal. But as soon as, as soon as humans start fucking butt humping the shit out of it, it's going to go unfair really fast. Like that's if how it all can, that's the whole point. If it can, it will. The goal of these systems, a lot of the mechanism design and building these systems is to make it so it's impossible. I mean, we can literally predict this, like Elon Musk, he's trying to make space travel cheap. Okay, it's going to start cheap. And then all of a sudden, I can't afford to go to Mars, bro. I'm stuck here on Earth, and they're living Elysium up there. Maybe. Like that's how all things can go. Internet started expensive, and now it's cheap. 
<laughs> and it's gonna swing right back up. I'm just saying, like that's. Is, but I mean, Earth is gonna be Earth about, and Mars is gonna be Elysium, and we're gonna be like, fuck, man, I really want to go to Mars, and like, nah. What bro. about air travel? Right, like air travel started expensive, and it's just become commoditized, and it's become more accessible. And now, um, airline companies are like scraping on razor thin margins. But I mean, the real reason for this is competition right? Mm -hmm. Like honest, real competition. But once we start talking about state sanctioned subsidies, that's not real competition, right? If everything is a race to the bottom in energy costs, then you have to look all over the globe and you have to see the countries with the lowest energy production. And only once like those countries are the only ones like producing Bitcoin, then we know that we actually have like a true competitive dynamic. So Let just me, look at the mining operations in Iceland. Iceland has the ch- lowest cost of energy production in the world because it has geothermal energy, right? So what do they do with it? They produce aluminum and they try to mine Bitcoin and Ethereum. Part of that works. Part of it also shows you that that's not the only thing at play currently because they don't have any kind of dominant position despite having like objectively the lowest energy costs, right? So let me add nuance to what I'm saying is, is that things start fair. I guess when we're talking about who can stand to profit starts kind of fair, but then it slowly goes towards you got to have a lot of money and you have to have a lot of knowledge to profit in a Why? system because people get better and better at making things and better and better at making a profit off of the things that they make. So Or they become a monopoly and i'd say i would i would argue that's true if there's room to do that so like using the airline argument right okay like we say us three i'm pretty sure we're intelligent we can look at bernoulli's principle we can make some fucking wing flaps we can figure out how to make shit fly but to profit in the airline industry we're not just gonna spin up an airplane overnight and be the new spirit airlines and start making profit. It's going to be ironically, really ironically, you picked an industry that's heavily subsidized by the US government and the European Union, Boeing and Airbus. Right. What about like Embraer? They subsidized- Don't hate on Embraer. <laughs> is there is it's there another it's Brazilian? Oh. They they're like oh. they're, they produce a tremendous amount of the world's aircraft. Is there another example then? It doesn't matter. Uh hmm. like I, I in my opinion you're right. If the, if and, and I can think we're both kind of right. If there is room for people to get better and monopolize on information, and there's an information asymmetry, and the rules allow you to um, gain power over people because of that information asymmetry, people will do it. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, the goal of these systems is to try and minimize the ability to do that. It will always happen to some extent. There will always be winners and losers of any game. but. Mm-hmm. The goal is to minimize the discrepancy between the two. I can dig it. I also think this is a great transition into what you were about to speak on, Corey, regarding um, blockchain as a social uh, network, right? Because one of the ideas of a blockchain network is it's like a social network, but a provably neutral social network, right? That's what we mean by censorship resistant and the fact that anyone can join, that anyone who buys their way in can participate within the network 
right? Like that's part of the fundamental ethos of why we're building this. We're trying to build a social network without um, the centralization and monopoly that is Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Yeah, when I said that, um, I, I basically, if we make the assumption, if we make the leap that value, transferring value as a form of communication, then the entire definition of what blockchain networks are is a social network. I have a really weird kind of example regarding the transfer of value as a form of communication. Um, political, sorry, but it's Lucian loves the his fact politics. That, <laughs> <laughs> the fact that money and contributions into politics is equivalent to free speech. Therefore, corporations are entitled to political contributions and donations under Citizens United. It's a very controversial ruling, but they argued successfully to the Supreme Court that political donations on behalf of corporations is permissible as long as they're not in coordination with the campaign because it falls under free speech. That's wrong. It is absolutely wrong. That's and all kinds of That's terrible. That's terrible. But like going back to what I said, like how can you argue that? How is it not? How is it not a social network? Wait, I'm stuck on that. Oh, you want to go back Sorry, to what Lucian said? <laughs> Lucian's bringing up shit that's like, that's, that's terrible. This is one of the most controversial political points yeah. of our generation. But yes, that is why there are so many corporate campaign say? contributions in politics in the United States. The floodgates have been opened. Yeah. It's called the Citizens United ruling in the United States. Companies are people, bro. Mm -hmm. And they're entitled to free speech. And because they're entitled to free speech, they're entitled to making political ads as long as they're, quote, not in coordination with the uh, campaign. I've got to fucking go protest. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> <laughs> Holy that's, why, that's why I'm bringing it up. But like it's so there is actual legal backing behind the definition of money equating free speech. I don't even think you need to make that leap. You don't need that justification to say people transferring value from one to another is communication. It's a form of communication. What the blockchain is, by definition, yes. is a ledger, a historical record of all valid that communication. Value, tra value transactions. Yes. I would say where is the the only where you're lacking a little bit in the blockchain network equals social network um, comparison is that where is like the personal relationship part of a blockchain network? It's well, in a lot of the stuff you people. don't see. The privacy associated with a lot of the stuff. Only thing you can see on, a, on, on, on the blockchain data structure is a history of valid transactions. What you don't see is the plethora of social relationships that led to those valid transactions. Now you can hmm. you can garner specific types of information through forensics of that blockchain, a la the main reason elliptic and chain analysis exist, which then allow you to deduce a lot of those social relationships. But that's what they are. It's it's the infrastructure for a social network 
And it's this, it's the skeleton of all of its history. It's just all value this time. It's a valuable social network this time. And if you think about the tribalism associated with how people stick their guns to a specific network, that definitely, like, where do you think that comes from? Mm. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm like on the fence. Yes, I see exactly what you're saying. And I'm also like having a hard time. If I go on the Etherscan right now and plug in an address and I look at the history of what that address has done, there's not a lot that's going to show me. It's a fingerprint. It's a fingerprint of it. Personal interactions. It's well, a I guess I could all, all of the all of the apps and facilities and things that facilitated that transaction. Because like the blockchain, the actual data structure is not the network. It's the validity of the network and where you go to find like um, to prove who has done what the auditability of the social interactions in that network. The network itself is so much more. It's all the people, all the apps, all the relationships, all the businesses, all those things that we Mm. tend to not take into account. That's the network. That's the synergistic effect of all these things. And all the people who spend their time and value and trust put into that network. So it's much, much larger than the blockchain itself. That just gives you the record of valid transactions within. But like the whole thing, this, the blockchain network, the like what you can build from that blockchain is, is the social network. We just okay. don't get to see that unless you're involved with those things. It's much like, you know, you don't see all of Twitter. You see what you're involved with or Facebook or so on and so forth. That's why some uh, one of the research founding research scientists from Zcash has basically called Bitcoin Twitter for your bank account in the fact that you're literally making public broadcasts of transfers of value. Right. But another uh, way to think about (laughs) it is if you don't equate like your private key to your profile directly there are examples if you look on like an ethereum developers twitter handle and it's like vitalik.eth that actually corresponds directly to a public key Mm -hmm. so if you look up vitalik.eth it will resolve into a public key address so he's literally representing himself with a specific account on ethereum he's linking he's linking his identity to a specific amount of money involved money movement and all the transactions and donations he's made Mm -hmm. there's beautiful possibilities in that and that is when it comes to actually having um i don't know like social economies like you'll know who to go to who's got the big bucks you know what i mean like typically if you're going to find like money investment dollars uh, you got to talk in the right circles and walk in the right routes to get to that money. But if there's like a project that, you know, should be uh, funded by the masses, then it would be interesting to see who actually was funding that project. And it's very open and very public. And I can put in Vitalik.eth and see if he sent any money to my business idea that's going to help the masses. Um, I think that's really cool. Um, it's 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 different because right now I know I wouldn't want anybody just looking at 
my financial activity. <laughs> I don't want any of that. Well, so technology is moving in a way that allows you to obfuscate that if you want to. And so that, yeah. that that's that falls back into pre- things I previously said. This technology is is allows for you to make Option. the options you want and broadcast or disclose the things that you want. Um, and there's there's certain aspects of that now in terms of using this technology, in terms of what you link your name to and what you don't. Uh, but it's getting better um, that like the amount of knowledge required to close that gap is getting better. Uh, like I guess this this kind of leads into the other part, like kind of like framework I want to talk about to help people think about these things uh, or like differentiate and understand how each project is different than another. And it's kind of, it's, it's the, it's the way I view um, how these networks are put together and then what optimizations, like where, how to think about what optimizations and what effects they have on the system when like someone makes a new network that does something new. That's a kind of a, so most people call shitcoin, but like the inno- the technolo- technological innovation of these systems, where they apply it and how they do it, gives you intuition on what effect it may have. Right. That, this, first off, does that make sense? No. What, what uh, I'm going to try and there. say. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you lost me there. Can you try rephrasing it? Yeah, sure. I'll just start. So uh, every blockchain network in existence today um, has a few different pieces that come together. To make it work, and mm-hmm. I'll use I'll use Bitcoin as the uh, canonical example of that. It starts with signatures, right? Digital signatures. Mm-hmm. How I personally attest to a specific piece of information that I have. I say this is my piece of information, and I'm going to sign it with something private and something public, right? So I sign it, it says, and so anyone in the world can say, okay, cool. Anyone who has that secret piece of information came from them. So whoever has access to that secret piece of information, it came from them. That's that's digital signatures, a piece of that's a type of asymmetric cryptography. So it's it's there's nothing being put on a blockchain, nothing. It's just people signing information with a specific type of signature scheme so that they can say, I attest to this piece of information. Cool, right? Got that. That's that's part one. Part two is going to be uh, the state transition. I'm going to change from, I'm going to make a, a difference in some, some machine that everyone agrees upon. And I would like to take these pieces of information and turn into these pieces of information following some set of rules, right? Mm-hmm. That's typically referred to as a transaction, right? I'm going to change the state of something based on these previously old pieces of information to these new pieces of information. I'm going to make a change to the system in the form of what's called a transaction. I'm going to sign a bunch of things in, in Bitcoin. You would normally, you have previous UTXOs, things that pieces of information that you belong to you based on the signatures mm-hmm. involved. I have the keys that work with those pieces of UTXOs. And I'm going to make a change. I'm going to destroy those things and create these new ones and hand them over to these other pieces of information associated to other, other signatures, people who have secret keys, who've, who've signed something. And then I'm going to make that according to the rules of the system we're using, talking about Bitcoin. So it follows all the rules of a Bitcoin transaction. I package that thing up, 
Haven't told anyone about it. Still has never even seen the internet yet. This is all stuff that I've done personally. And I'm going to throw it out into the world. It's this piece of information that says, I would like to make this change. I'm going to give these UTXOs, I'm going to burn them. I'm going to give them to someone new. Mm -hmm. It all follows the rules. Cool. I've made a transaction. Now I'm going to show it to the world. And then we have the, basically the aggregators or the validators of these, of these systems. And what they do is they aggregate all the people saying, I want to make this change. 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 And they say, okay, well, I'm going to check to make sure you're following all the rules. All the accounting is done appropriately, so on and so forth. And then they say, cool, I made something. It followed all the rules. I would like to add to this canonical ledger of something, the blockchain. And the blockchain, all that is, is just a linked list of all of the changes that have ever been made. Mm. All, that's all that is. It's just a linked list of all the changes that have ever been made based on whatever accounting system you use within that system. Bitcoin uses UTXOs. And so now you have that. Now you have the, the last part, which is more often than not what people talk about, is how you come to agreement within a disparate set of people with various motives on who gets to make those changes. Proof of work was a very beautiful way of showing that anyone in the world who did a specific type of calculation based on all based on gathering all of that shit people was people were throwing at them, all the transactions where people created into a specific amount of time and saying, I made this piece of information that's aggregated all of the things that the people in the network would like to do. And then I made this other calculation that proves that I put a specific amount of resources, uh, like external energy resources into, into this so that it's, I basically can't lie about how much work I did and I did it right. And what that does, what's neat about that process, the proof of work process is that you do a bunch of work and it spits out a small number. And then you say, here's the number and here's the thing that I made. And you can check that number to make sure that the thing you made is done correctly and spent a specific amount of external resources to make. Yeah, a small enough number. And anyone who gets that can check that quickly and say, cool, starting over. Now onto the next block. I'm going to take the other transactions that aren't included in that block and start doing the same thing again. And that's that's the pieces. You have signatures, how mm-hmm. you attest to specific information. You have transactions, how you bring that stuff together to say, I'd like to make a change in the system. The aggregators that say, yeah, all of these things check out. Let's put it into... Let's aggregate that information into something. And then the consensus around making sure that aggregator did did its job correctly. Right. And so Mm -hmm. when you make a technologically technological change to all of those things, it happens in one of those places. And its effects are usually drastic. So if you look at like, as an example, um, Monero made changes to how you put that information together to add privacy. One of its changes, right? Or a few of its changes. How do you aggregate transactions to put into a block so that you can do proof of work on it and pass around the other stuff? Now, it added privacy at the cost of weight. It made it more bloated in some cases. If you look at something like Taproot or Schnorr Signatures, it added privacy by changing the signature scheme. It says, no longer do you have to add 
a signature for every single UTXO in your transaction. What you can do is this cool thing where you aggregate all of the signatures of the UTXOs into a single signature. So now the transaction you create only has one signature and you can't see all the other stuff. That makes it smaller and makes it more efficient, adds a lot of privacy. And then adds the ability of things like Taproot where you can have a bunch of people signing uh, signing this thing, but it ends up as one signature, which is a tremendous amount of privacy in terms of who's involved with a transaction in UTXOs. But what effect does that have on the aggregation part? Well, it minimizes the size of a transaction drastically and adds a tremendous amount of privacy on who's involved with that transaction because they all look the same. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at these technology innovations, you get to look at where it's happening and what effect it has on the whole system. Snarks, I could go on for a long time about what snarks do and where they where they get put in or how like different systems integrate them in different ways to make different trade-offs. And, and so like, if you look at it from that perspective, you can look at all the different blockchains out there, what changes they made, where they made them and why it may or may not be important. And that's what if you, and, and a lot of the discussion. So one last thing, you a lot always, of the discussion that we have is mostly on proof of work and why or why, why or why not that's good. But it's, it's, it's way bigger than that. Well, the thing is that you, you, everybody just can't do their own thing. And if they do, then even in that, they need to agree upon like a consensus. That's why I say we're so early. That's why I don't care what things are called, what the value is right now. Because the, the, the pace of innovation is still happening so fast that make these systems so much better that who gives a shit? What we use in five years will not be what we have now. Or Without sorry, 20 doubt. years, 10 years. Whenever it's, 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 whenever it's useful to the world, it will not be what we have now because the pace of technological innovation in those four places is so rapid. It wasn't until because just I recently until we started playing with signatures to make things tremendously more efficient. It just goes against everything that I've been trained on. Well, it's just you've like been you trained wrong. Uh, no. <laughs> look, that, you don't that's... look at a system. You don't even look in the beginning how to make a system good until you like define it. And then once you define it, you start measuring shit. I mean, even that goes into everything. Why do you think we even take a consensus every, what was that, four years? Three every four years? The consensus? What about it? The census. The oh, census. The census. Oh, it's like, what about every 10 years? Every 10 years, right? right. We take a census every <laughs> 10 years and we measure shit to see if our definitions are still holding up. You don't just do shit and then like you, you've got to define something but and then you start taking measurements. Here's the cool part about right. that. You're right. You're, just like, You're right. But the most, the valuable part about these things, what we, why we care is the scarcity of a given network. The 21 Bitcoin meme is the value in this system. Don't you dare call that a meme. It's a fucking meme. It's not, memes are not bad things inherently. That's the reason why people oh. trust it and care about it is because you have a very, very provably fair way based on a social contract of knowing how much will ever be in existence. You're damn right. Right? So that, that scarcity is the value is because people believe that they hold something scarce that isn't going to be manipulated later on down the line. But that isn't inherently tied to a specific technology. Why do we know that? Because it's been forked a couple times. That scarcity... A couple? 
but it's, you know what I mean? Like that scarcity isn't tied to the other networks. The scarcity is tied to the people who believe that meme and whatever technology that pushes it. And I also and have to point out, it's an assumption too, Yeah. right? It still depends on social consensus. The people who agree to continue running Bitcoin D software are the only people that ensure that the 21 million uh, Bitcoin is actually the limit. And they honestly don't know that it's actually the limit for this very reason. What if transaction costs aren't enough to pay for the security of the network long term? They have no idea. But it's a very convenient way to address the question of why does this digital thing have value? And it also latched on to a specific school of economic thought. And it's also an alternative to like mainstream economic thought. But at the same time, it all of these things are actually social consensus and they have nothing rooted in the technology. Well, we have to define something. We can't just not define things and hope that it resolves into whatever it is that we're trying to do with this in this in this space. Like you, you have it's you defined, but it's million. an open research question. You have like the Bitcoin has defined that there's 21 million and this is how they're going to be inflated into into circulation. And these are the rules you need to follow to use those things. That's that yeah. they defined all of those things. And the group of people who who agree that those are the rules use that thing. That doesn't mean there won't be other things that we've seen. There's plenty of forks who people who didn't agree with that stuff. So, okay. So what I think I hear you saying is that we haven't found the base layer still. Uh, I'm saying that what we call Bitcoin, Bic- I think Bitcoin will exist in 5, 10, 15 years. I think lots of things will. But I'm saying how it works is not how it works right now. And that's and, and how it changes is, is subject to the people who use it. It's like you have to think about like the only thing that's valuable is the for blockchain networks here is the scarcity associated with that network and the people who agree that that scarcity exists. Okay. So the, 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 there's a community involved and then everyone builds infrastructure based on those assumptions. The Where's the master cog? What? Right? Where's the master cog? Is what I'm thinking is is like if all these blockchains are going to be working all simultaneously and there's going to be links between them that um, basically allow for these different networks to do what they want to do, but still communicate and work uh, synergistically with the other networks, then what's the master cog? Like, yeah, what's I the? I don't know what that. Obviously, means. it's what Roger Ver says. So, right. <laughs> I don't have that answer. Uh, I'm glad that's a joke now. <laughs> yeah. As time goes on, it's 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 probably not going to be Bitcoin at this point because Bitcoin can't handle it. Who knows? I don't. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to say that. I'm not willing to say that either. I think it's losing that battle, the way it currently the way it currently exists and how it moves forward with te- technologically. Mm-hmm. But who knows? There's there's so much room for innovation and change and understanding of how this technology works. Like me explaining this, like how I view this stuff, which seems pretty damn rational in my head. 
and, and the fact that no one quite gets this or understands this or completely fucking disagrees with me means that we have a long way to go. Because at the end of the day, it's all humans agreeing on something and exchanging value with each other. If you if you argue with that, then there there is no moving forward because that's just stupid to argue with. Yeah. So social network. It's a social network. Okay. As as a result, you have to convince people to continue to believe in the value of the underlying network and the software that runs it, and. Whenever you basically join a Bitcoin or Ethereum or Zcash network, you are creating social connections with the individuals that you trade value with, and your transactions are what give it value. That's kind of like, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Oh, it's, it's just strange that... It seems like we've we all agree that there isn't going to be a Facebook of cryptocurrency. Uh, we have not all right. agreed on that. A lot of people believe it. A lot of people. I, well, I think there eventually might be, but I think that no one has solved all of the problems to make it as compelling as Facebook is currently to GPPs. We just lack the horse historical perspective to come up with a different analogy, but it's definitely not going to be the Facebook of. Well, in a sense that it's ubiquitous, right? And and regular yeah. ass people use it. Your grandma uses it. Yeah, Your grandma loves uh, it. is the U.S. dollar the Facebook of so money currently. Damn, I had something to say. Yeah, so Sorry. like the most powerful <laughs> meme, the most powerful meme that's existed in all of crypto is that one morpheus and neo meme that that like about every four months it rears its pretty face where like neo's you like you won't have to yeah like, what do you say in morpheus one day my one bitcoin's gonna be worth millions i could trade it in for millions and then morpheus says what i'm saying is is that one day you won't have to and then you see neo's face and he looks very keanu reevesy but <laughs> The, the whole thing, Bitcoin originally like and crypto originally so like proposed is that we're not using dollars anymore. All the system that we're living in ain't going to work. Yeah, we're I doing that's that's a, that's a big shit. part of the whole point is that one day, <laughs> Neo, you won't have to. Yeah. And that's the bridge like that's a big ass bridge over. A, that's a long bridge over a deep, deep deep hole and that is something that like i don't know like we say a satoshi is gonna have to be worth the equivalent of like millions like a lot of money in order for this stuff to work like satoshis are gonna have to be the new thing that people think in because there's no other way this stuff doesn't work if people don't think in those terms i think bitcoin abandoned being a medium of exchange in order to remain uh, as a store of value. I don't know if that was intentional or technologically because they gave up the research topics that would have led to it in the mm -hmm. near term. Um, the, the, all, the other idea is that if you try to shoehorn all of the world's currencies um, into a single unit of value, you're probably going to have a bad time. Like the European Union experiment is probably the biggest monetary failure in modern times, and it's never going to get better. It's either going to fall apart or it's going to get worse. And 
I just see it getting worse for the near term. And the reason is that like local short-term imbalances have no way to fluctuate. Mm-hmm. Right. And the world, especially the internet, it's it's not a fair and equal place, right? There used to be like something called the kimchi premium in which a Bitcoin traded in South Korea was substantially more valuable than um, its equivalent if you just traded it through the fiat system. And like that is always something that's temporary because you could change your US dollar, you could change uh, your Korean... Yeah, you could do arbitrage mm-hmm. and you could basically like counteract this, but the imbalance still persisted. And it just shows you that like it's unlikely that a cryptocurrency will become a world reserve currency, mainly because there is actually no reason for existing world reserve currencies or existing currencies to be supplanted by a cryptocurrency. Because in my opinion, you can't replace the competitive advantage of printing money with a cryptocurrency. In terms of user adoption, that is something great for people who want to opt out of uh, currencies that are being deflated, right? But the flip side of it is like for a government who's way over its head in terms of debt, they will never give up the ability to print money because they have no ability to be financially responsible. The only thing, like, it seems like the entire cryptocurrency community is kind of praying that the comeuppance of developed countries come sooner rather than later because of, like, the reality that, yeah, you can't just print unlimited money without experiencing inflation if everyone does it. Well, apparently from the experience of the last 10 years, you can print imaginary money if everyone else in the world is doing it simultaneously and your currency appreciates in value. Uh -uh. The US dollars... I'm just joking. Sorry? Yeah, I'm just joking. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's it's 10 years ago or like after the financial crisis. Yeah. I expected the US dollar to fall in value because we printed trillions of dollars. It actually appreciated substantially. Because like, we went to other countries and like, you could print money too. And <laughs> no, actually, other countries decided to print more money in order to prevent the US dollar from depreciating and then becoming less competitive. And we haven't stopped. So it's been like 12 mm. years of continuous nonstop global money printing everywhere. And the weirdest thing is, is that besides like an initial bump in the value of gold, Gold has not been a good investment either. <laughs> Gold's been a so, shit investment. Like, well, I won't say shit. It just hasn't been. It's been a shift investment. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, Gold hasn't been a shit investment. It just hasn't. There's been other things that have made a lot more money. Um, like stocks. Know. It's. Right? which should have been affected negatively by money printing because your value in stocks should have been inflated away. We definitely go out the realm of cryptocurrency quite often on this show. Yeah, it's relevant. Have- oh, right. this is why crypto has its value. This like, is why this people is, care, I think, right? the underlying belief. Why is... So my only thing hedge. is like... It's a big clearly, hedge. Well, for a lot of people, it's a big hedge. Mm-hmm. Clearly, economies work 
are working different than they did when we built the metrics. When we defined a good a good with quotations economy many many moons ago with those metrics like GDP and its fucking cohorts. But when things like this are going on, why are we still using these shitty definitions when nothing applies? Like I nothing when I look at the the, the debt that the U.S. has. And then I look at the world debt and I'm like, how's everyone in debt? How's to who? Mars? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like who are, how do we all owe money? Who is? Who? Well, that's actually, actually like. Do we have time for this? Do we have time to dig into this? It's already right past an hour. I, I, I think the answer is actually really short. Um, the metrics work great if you're rich, right? Like oh. the distribution, it makes it like so. So you're in debt to individuals who own wealth and the people who own wealth own government bonds because that's how you represent value. Basically, private individuals own our government. Surprise, surprise. We're not very far from an oligarchy just like Russia. The only difference is ours isn't a criminal oligarchy yet. (laughs) Just wait until they get even more wealthy and they start moving their money offshore at the rate of Russians, then we will have an oligarchy and a criminal class if we don't already. Hmm. Food for Uh, thought. Let's wrap up on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, go vote or something like that. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, Please like and subscribe. Do all those things. Ring the bell, like call it. I don't know. There's no bell YouTube. for podcasts. We should probably put this on YouTube at some point. Yeah, we should put this on YouTube. Um, yeah, go go subscribe to us on YouTube. We still getting like YouTube subscribers somehow. Like they leak in through all it's of like the not one hundred percent lack of content on YouTube. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> like, they find the hidden gem of the Bitcoin podcast, and they're like, Ooh. it's like my talk. It's like my talk from like three years ago. And then they get sad when they're like, last time they posted 2016. (laughs) We're changing that. We're doing video content. We're producing it. It's going to happen. We'll be on YouTube. um, If you, uh, what else do we do? Um, It's, you know what I asked last year? I asked people to simple, like recast on Simplecast. That is not easy to do. So we should talk to Simplecast and ask them to make that easier to do. It's not easy it's, to do. You just you just scroll over the timestamp and click recast. Yeah, but that's like if you're on your computer or if you're I haven't tried it on a mobile phone. I don't listen to I listen to podcasts. You can't do it through like uh you can't do it through like a regular app. Like it's not universal at all. Like so if you ask someone to recast, they're just like, how do I even I, I don't know how to do that. And so they'd have to see, they'd have to be on their computer listening through the Simplecast web embed to be able to do that. And that's that's too many ifs, too many conditions. But anyways, um, yeah, uh, like all our shit and go to our website, thebitcoinpodcast.com, thebitcoinpodcast.network. Um, listen to Lucian's show, Dose of Ether. Um, where I think, do you give them the dose of uh, geopolitics? On no, uh, on Almost, the, I, I he saves that, that for, us. for this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like these. That's my hobby. I love the history <laughs> lessons. 
Like now I know why Russia is Russia and I can continue like not liking them. But then, <laughs> um, so what else do we do, Corey? I don't know. Join us Slack. Strap- talk to us. We're always there. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bunch of really cool people talking about yeah, relevant cool. things, um, in a, in a productive way. We keep it, we keep it, um, real. So don't be, uh, don't be shy. Yeah. Um, yeah, the BitcoinPodcast.com, push the Slack button, follow the instructions. If you can't follow those instructions, we don't want you in there. Um, and that's just the way that goes. So, all right. Um, shout out to Zotzi Beats. Um, play the outro.